Hello, and welcome to the Canyons Are Calling podcast. Happy birthday to the podcast. So I apologize. That birthday is actually in February, and I was working on an awesome episode where I was going through all of the people that I have interviewed and what I have learned through this whole podcasting process, and I had spent a lot of time on it, and the day that I was going to sit down and record it, that morning, my dog was acting really funny, and uh, I took her into the vet the next day, and I found out that she has cancer in her spleen, probably in her lungs, in her brain, and in her breast, and she has been my best friend for 11 years, and it was really, really devastating news to hear. And so I just wanted to spend as much time as I could with her, and I wasn't able to get the episode recorded. Uh, Good news is she is responding to the steroids that the vet gave her, and she has a lot more energy. She's not as lost and unbalanced as she was for the first week, so I am hopeful that I get more time with her. But it was really hard, and I apologize. I'm not going to do the birthday episode that I had planned. Maybe next year. (laughs) Anyway, um, if you do appreciate this podcast, it does take a lot of my time to edit, research the stories, interview the people, all those kind of things, and it's 100% me that does it all. So if you appreciate my time and the episodes that you enjoy, you can help out by donating to patreon.com. That is uh, just a platform where you can support creatives like myself and other podcasts. Um, so yeah, patreon.com slash the canyons are calling. And with that, there's several different tiers from $2 to $20 a month. And with that, once a month, we always do a Canyon call. And so we just sit and chat about canyons. It's the first Wednesday of every month. And it's just a way to get to know more about the canyoneering community that supports the show, as well as when I get guests on, learn more about canyoneering products, books that are coming out, where canyons are, all those fun things. So, um, yeah. Also, if you would like to just make a one-time donation, there is always Venmo and PayPal. So Venmo is Sheryl's Rocks on Venmo. And PayPal is the canyons are calling at gmail.com. And I will have links to all of that stuff in the show notes. Okay, well, enough about me and my dog and my donations. Uh, we're here to listen to my episode with Joey Valpas. So, Joey is from New Jersey and he has a lot of different companies. So, he has the American Hiking Guides. He has the National Rescue and Response Institute, as well as the Northeast Mountain Guiding Company. And so with the Northeast Mountain Guiding Company, they are guiding canyons in the Catskills. So when I found out that there were canyons in New York in the Catskills, it really hit home because my daughter and her family just moved um, back to that area. And so I hope to be spending more time in the Catskills. Uh, hiking and exploring with my grandkids so to find out there were canyons there I was super stoked so I had to get Joseph on and and talk talk canyons about it 
So then I also found out today, I knew that he was writing a canyoneering guidebook about the Northeast Canyons, but also on his Amazon page, he has several rock climbing guides and a knot guide. So that is super exciting. So you can check out his stuff. I have a link for his Amazon page there. He's getting the canyoneering guidebook printed right now, and that should be out very, very soon. So... Um, check that. I will post on the Facebook group page and probably on Instagram once that book is actually out and available on Amazon, but I'll have the link for the book in the show notes. So enough rambling. Enjoy the show. Hi. So today we are here with Northeast Mountain Guide, Joey Bopis. How are you doing today, Joey? Good. Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So we are here to talk about canyoneering in New York. I'm super excited. Well, maybe not exactly New York, but the Northeast area of the country. <laughs> um, where exactly? Okay, let's start. I there. live in New Jersey, and we operate um, canyoneering activities in uh, upstate New York, in, New in York. the Catskill region. We used to do it in the Delaware Water Gap in northwestern New Jersey, but... It's federal land, and there was uh, some issues with some kids cliff jumping there. Uh, one of them uh, got killed, and one of them broke his back, so they banned all activities at the waterfalls in that region. So we moved our operations up to upstate New York. That's sad. I'm sorry to hear that there were some accidents there. Yeah, it was just kids. a lot of kids drink and go cliff jumping on the waterfalls in the on the National Recreation Area down there, and there's always problems. Um, yeah, alcohol and 100-foot waterfalls is never a good mix. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. So I we moved our operations up to the Catskills, and uh, we were a full-time guide service up there from 2015 until uh, COVID, actually. So for five years, and then it went down to like four days a week, and now it's around to like three days a week, depending. Hopefully it'll pick up after, like now that COVID's kind of... Yeah, we're learning how nice. to cope with it, I guess we can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why people were apprehensive on things. I, you know, I have this issue with um, that as well, because we, this is our 14th year in business. And we've gone up to over 200 guides and down as low as 15. So every year has been different. But I mean, we do other work as well. But as far as recreational activities go, I think it's the accessibility of the Internet that's uh lowering because a lot of guide services are having issues on the east coast with uh clientele i think they have accessibility to get the equipment learn and go out and do it on their own versus hiring a professional to do it um, and you have all these professionals putting out all these disinformation on the internet and it's uh some of it's great information really high standard but i think that's the reason why a lot of guides are getting slow and going out of business that does make sense as you get the skills, you don't really need the other people and like more tracks yeah, online. So you can just download like where you want to <laughs> hike and make sure that you're on trail. That, yeah, when I was younger, we were figuring out what we're doing wrong. Like, you know, when standards were developed, so things were a little different. We had to screw up to figure out how to do it right. It's not like that anymore. It's if you screw up now, there's something wrong with you. It's probably natural selection coming into play, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's backtrack a little bit and find out a little bit more about you. Um, how did you get into the outdoors? 
since I was a kid, family, I'm 45 years old, so it was in the mid-80s, I'd say, I got into outdoor activities. Uh, we moved to New Jersey from New York City, from Brooklyn. And uh, when I live, you know, where I live in New Jersey now is where I grew up. But um, there's woods all around here. Back then, there was real, it was heavily wooded. Um, it wasn't as uh, <clears throat> built up as it is now or commercialized or institutionalized or anything. The infrastructure was so small back then. Um, and then there was just parks, you know, get home from school, <coughs> go play in the woods. During the summertime, we were gone from 8 a.m. till, you know, till my mom was yelling like it's New York City out the window about dinner. So you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then they'd shift me off to the Adirondack Mountains during the summer as a kid with my grandparents. They had property there. Again, I just lived in the woods up there. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, I moved out to Arizona. I can't remember the year I was there earlier. Um, it was 20 plus years ago. And uh, I visited out there first and then moved out there. I lived out there twice for a year each time. And uh, that was when I got into guiding. I had already been involved in search and rescue and mountain rescue before that. But that was when I got into uh, rock climbing guiding with a small outfit that was operating out there. And uh, it just kind of went from there. Rock, you know, rock climbing was a really big thing of mine back then. And I got into canyoneering in like the early 2000s, out, living out west with um, a few buddies of mine. And then when I moved back out there again in the mid 2000s, I met Shiloh Dorsett. If you remember, if you know him, and we uh, you know, played in the woods together out there climbing and stuff. And yeah, it just went up from there. And then I, became a government contractor in December of 2008. I started Northeast Mountain Guiding in December of 2008. And um, yeah, it just was a waterfall effect from there with our business now. Um, yeah, the company was the, one of the largest guide services in the country for a few years. Um, yeah, we operate multiple companies underneath our company. So we operate the American Hiking Guides Association we operated Bayshore Search and Rescue and Mid-Atlantic Mountain Rescue, but now they're with state police agencies. Um, yeah, it went into the government end, which is really big. My uh, former business partner, Brian Enberg, was uh, the president of the Mountain Rescue Association. So we did a lot of mountain rescue training for various state police agencies. And then my business partner after him was uh, Matt Novellino, who was a former U.S. Coast Guard helicopter rescue swimmer and uh, 19th Group Special Forces uh, operator who's a weapons sergeant. So we got really deep into different types of government contracts with uh, the Department of Justice, Department of Defense. So we do 80% um, of our work now is government-based. So we do technical rescue training in any environment. We specialize in mountain warfare-based operations, violent fugitive apprehensions in remote technical environments. Um, yeah, like austere type stuff. It's really, really cool. Definitely odd approach to the job. But it's, it went to a place where, yeah, I mean, we do some really crazy stuff. We work with the U.S. Secret Service. We're the only contractor to do that. Um, we work with the U.S. Marshals. Uh, yeah, the list goes on and on. That's a really awesome, creative way to, like, keep yourself outside and doing things in nature oh, that you love to do. And there's a lot of... Um, you know, I became a guide officially December of 2008. There wasn't like a career path to follow with that. So not to go off on a tangent here, but I got interviewed by a college student, which in turn 
And then I was having issues hiring guides. I noticed their client management skills and their terrain analysis and recognition things were just not on par. And these people were like Knowles graduates and outward bound. And uh, I got together with various other guide service owners around the country, up in Alaska, California, Arizona. And we put together standards for hiking and backpacking guides and created an organization, which is the American Hiking Guide Association. It's in the process of being internationally recognized. And then we created the... Um, what else from there? A few different agencies as far as, you know, I petitioned the U.S. Department of Labor to create um, the outdoor adventure and education industry in 2011. That was finalized in 2014 because there was no actual job for us. And that opened up the door for universities with that expeditionary studies degrees so they can be more discipline specific as far as uh, instead of just going to college and getting an outdoor recreation degree. Now you can be very specific on your discipline like rock climbing, skiing, watercraft or something. Right. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's a great job, and you should be recognized, paid, and there should be a formal training process for it and assessment. So I'm big on that. Yeah, I feel like other countries recognize guides as like a legitimate job, and here you're like, I'm going to be do, a Canadian guide, and your family's like, Are you kidding me? Like that's a joke. That's <laughs> not a good, you know. And for me, I quit an eight year career with a pharmaceutical company to be a canyoneering guide where, you know, and my mom was just like devastated. She was like, you have 401k, you have vacation, you have blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I'm just a number. I'm getting walked on. They forget who I am next week. And my soul needs this. Like I need yeah, to be outside. Well. I need to be at the mouth of Zion. Like this is what my soul needs. And I'm really happy I went that way. Like I, to be in building and just working under a corporate entity is not where everybody belongs. So uh, I wish definitely... that, I wish that it was more um, like notable, right? Because we work hard and we know a lot, like our knowledge of plants and animals and rocks and then add the rope skills to it, right? Like, we're yeah, not You're an interpreter stupid. for the environment. That's we're what we tell everybody. dirt bags that are just living in our car. <laughs> like, we're living the dream. It's a legitimate and we're actually career. smart, right? It definitely is. So good for you for advocating for the rest of us who like to pursue the outdoor playgrounds. They That's definitely awesome. need it. Yeah, they do. All right. So that brings us back to the canyons in the Catskills. Oh, so I want to live <laughs> up there. My fiance and I are always looking at houses up there to move up there. <laughs> it's uh, <clears throat> they're amazing there. We started, I mean, I started ice climbing up there a lot more than two decades ago i can't even remember when i was a kid and i never thought to go rappelling down these waterfalls when they were not you not frozen um and then we went back up there and did some of them and they're just amazing but they were really back then they were really technical canyons and there wasn't a lot of information so it was kind of free going through these canyons back then you know there wasn't accessibility to things where you could see how these canyons played out because the most of them are really unstable ravines you know whatever the they're all sedimentary rock based um 
it's just this constantly change in a hundred years those canyons won't be there there's various studies that you can look up on usgs.gov and at universities that are showing that they're going to eventually be gone so you know it's a very short amount of time to be canyoneering what we're there right now to be able to do so but oh there's probably six main canyons i'd say up there that are are good and then there's a lot of smaller ones that people keep finding every year a new canyon pops up that's it may be small but it's still freaking awesome man like they're all fun that's awesome and they're a commitment um two of them are on private land one the whole canyon's on private land one only one waterfall's on private land but they don't usually bother you um we had an issue up there a few years ago and new york state has a law which a lot of states that if the waterway coming through your property is navigable <laughs> you can do so without being uh, under threat of any issues from the landowner they can't stop you and we had a little bit of an argument with the department of environmental conservation rangers because somebody called in on us and i'm like we're navigating down the river they're like listen you need to do this in a safe manner i'm like this is safe we're all certified guides but because they didn't recognize our credentials at the time <clears throat> um it, uh, it didn't go over too well so we still get to play on them they don't usually cause too much trouble they're they're really great canyons <laughs> i can't all. say anything <laughs> and they're all like classy level canyons right with flowing water yeah none of them are dry they're all there's flowing water going through all of them the most technical one i'm gonna say is probably platte clove that one has various waterfalls um it's really unstable if you go there a day after a storm or just after a storm the water is ridiculous like you can't even go near some of the waterfalls they just they'll yank you in you can't you can't repel them during those conditions but you can repel next to them and still oh i mean i saw a boulder like the size of like half the size of a grizzly bear just floating down the water one day when a storm rolled in the surge was like two feet it was huge there's videos on our um social media pages of when the storms come in yeah the, the water just rips through it's so cool to watch it's amazing I've seen some awesome Zion storms where you're just like, I hope nobody's in the canyons today because that like came out of nowhere. <laughs> Big They're wall. worse out there, I think, because yeah, at least out here, the substrate can absorb some of the water. You guys don't right. have that out there. No, not at all. <laughs> this comes down and does mass destruction. People that are not from the area don't understand. And it took me my first canyoneering season as a guide to realize what 20% of the area is going to get 100% of the rain truly meant. Hopefully you're not in the canyon when it happens, but you live and learn. Right. Yeah. Like South Dakota, 20% chance of rain. Like it's not going to rain today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We get a lot of rain, especially up in the air. We cancel probably 40% of our trips because of rain, unfortunately, because it's really, I mean, you know, as a canyoneering guy, it's really dangerous to just be near the area, let alone in it. Yeah. When it rains with the watershed and other issues. Do you guys have the option to kind of look where the rain's going to hit and go to a different area if that's going to happen? Or um, it, are they so close no. that pretty much? Some of the areas we don't bring clients into some of the canyons because they have fairly technical approaches. So we try and stay out of those areas. We stick with the ones where they're, you know, like 
class three terrain and under, you know, where yeah. we can navigate something that's like, you know, less than 45 degrees. We don't need to deploy any roping methods to bring our clients from the parking lot to the actual start of the Canyon, unless it's like a hand line or something like that. Yeah. Um, but no, if there's water rain forecasted anywhere in the surrounding Northern area or that general area, we just cancel the trips altogether and reschedule them. That we don't sense. even mess around with that. I mean, yeah. I mean, we get a lot of, you know, haters and bad feedback about it and bad reviews, but you know, I'd rather be sitting here alive and I'd rather my clients be alive than some stupid review on the internet because it you know, was raining. Yeah. That's, I mean, no amount of money is worth the life. If it's, it's just, that's awesome business practice. I think. No, no. I mean, we still go up there and check the area out when the storms happen because it's so cool to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as far clients. as bringing clients in, uh, yeah. my insurance company would have a field day with me with that one. We, we would definitely, yeah, I don't want to get into that conversation. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So we were talking earlier about how you guys break down the Class C classifications into how swift the water flow is. Can you talk to about that a little bit? Um, so all of our canyoneering guides, we um, they have one, a different level of swift water rescue training. All of our guides have swift water awareness or are going through that. Some of them have operations. And then some of them have technician levels. And then we have the supervisory level as well. But so cl class C, I think, is Rich Carlson. Is it Carlson or Carlton? Carlson. I can't remember. Carlson. He's, um, you know, his classification methods is really great. It's a good, um, it's a good outline. You know, it's, it's definitely great. But as far as class C canyon goes, when you're operating in those environments, you can't just say every canyon has flowing water and waterfalls, you know. Because there's canyons up here, which we consider like a C1 or a C2, where you can wade through them. You may not have to deploy a rope while you're in the water, but you do have to deploy it to get down waterfalls. And then when you get into C3, that's where we, they get more technical in nature. And then C5 would be where the rope's out almost the entire time, um, you know, where it's just continuous tiered waterfalls going down. Um, but swift water, yeah, I think swift water technician training is... Yeah, as far as canyoneering guides go, I think awareness is a great level to start with or volunteering on a swift water rescue team in your area. But I think as a canyoneering guide, that should be a prerequisite. That's my personal opinion because of where we operate. You know, there's nothing dry up in this area, even when actually the first time I saw the canyon dry up was this past season. In 30 years, I've never seen it dry up and it, it dried up where there was no water flowing, but there were still standing pools. But two weeks later, the canyon was, you couldn't even hear your partner standing in front of you talking to you. That's how loud it was. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a dynamic environment, but the C1 to C5 seemed to work out for us. And then it lets me know who, what guides I can send into those areas based on their credentials and their experience. That's really helpful. Because I know like coming from Utah in this dry environment where... I see a class C Canyon and I was like, Oh, let's go practice this one for you, Ray. <laughs> and it was like barely flowing Canyon. So then we get to you, Ray and we're dealing with hydraulics and like the push of oh. the waterfalls and stuff. And I could see where you can easily get in over your head if the flow is too high or like higher yeah, than your skill level and experience level is, is there for, for sure. Especially if it's not, you know, there, there's discrepancies between a riverine environment and a canyon environment. 
I, a riverine environment usually means where there's a river flowing through, which all of our canyons are. So there's a constant flow of water. It's not like a, a watershed drainage gully or something like that, which you see a lot in the Southwest U.S. Yeah. Um, or e even in Colorado. But ours are all a riverine environment. It's just a constant water concern. So th there's always water there. So river hydrology, which we get into in swift water awareness operations and technician level, it depends on the level is going to dictate how deep we get into that. But river hydrology is a huge component of our, of our job out here. Um, we mitigate every risk. And we also train the state team that responds to the issues in those canyons. But yeah, it's all a riverine environment. So it, it's constantly, there's water flowing through it. So we have to mitigate that and if there's no standards or best practices out there, we put them together and we teach them to our staff and they implement them and employ them or deploy them on uh, our trips with our customers. Do you do other training for just like the canyoneering community that wants to learn more skills? Yeah, like we have a lot of people that'll come here. Our company runs the National Canyoneering Guides Association, which is uh has a lot of haters on the West Coast because of the American Canyoneering Association, but ours is recognized by the National Park Service. So we do training with, uh, as far as rescue goes in those environments, there's a few different levels for there, but all of our guides have that credential. So they go through, they acquire their their training and experience. Then they, they take a formal training course and then they have to acquire more experience after they take a formal training course and work with our staff, or there's a couple other companies in the area that have the same credentials. And then they, they're assessed on those those credentials. And then there's CEUs that they have to meet during the same thing. But we put all of our staff through that training when they come here. Um, there's no reciprocity for other canyoneering guide associations coming in, no matter what country it's from, because it's a really rough area. Our credentials are also a little, uh, the prerequisites are pretty in-depth to be, get into the programming. I don't spend time, you know, it's like the American Mountain Guide Association. They're a great example of that uh, disciplined structure or tiered structure where you have to, you take your formal training, you go and acquire experience and additional credentials from professionals like avalanche training. So they, they don't teach that themselves. They don't waste time focusing on that. We do that with swift water rescue training. We let the swift water rescue professionals teach that or uh, stop the bleed, which is, a, you know, in our canyons with the type of rock and the hydraulics we're dealing with, there's various uh, amputations that go on during a lot of these search and rescue calls. So we teach you know, you go get a credential from somebody who's focused on that. And we don't spend time during the course teaching that. It's on the fine yeah. skills that are needed to operate on that terrain. That makes sense. So what is your favorite canyon in the Catskills? Uh, Platte Clove. I think you mentioned that yeah, one earlier. <laughs> that's a fun one. I, I talk about that one all the time. That's where we run our trips in. There's, um, I don't know how many miles, I can't remember how many miles long it is, but there's, seven main waterfalls and there's probably a dozen total in there but oh man it's just the environment down there when you go below grade of the surrounding area you're just in this land where yeah there's a 130 foot waterfall then there's a hundred footer there's a 12 foot well you can repel down it but it's more of like a rock slide we just kind of put a rope in on a month or just for safety's sake but you can slide down that one there's the hundred footer that's a wet exit at the bottom um, the 130 foot is a wet exit over your head. So you're basically bobbing in the water like a fucking fishing singer. <laughs> um, and then there's a, a 60 footer, which depending on where you go down that waterfall, you could either wet exit over your head or you could wet exit in like ankle deep. And then from there, there's a few tiered waterfalls. One's cascading, which is more like a low angle rappel. And then there's a straight, another 100 footer. 
it's an amazing area. You get lost down there if you don't follow the water flow. We did a film shoot down there last September, September of 2021 for Apple TV Plus with uh, Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. And uh, we took them waterfall rappelling and hiking in the canyon. So you could check that episode out. It's called Gutsy Women. Okay. I can't I can't remember the episode. I think it was episode one with Jane Goodall. But we took them down there. Yeah, it was really... You, so you could see the canyons right in front of your face with a professional film crew filming it. So that's a good way to check it out. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'll try to have a link for that in the show yeah, it's notes. It's pretty fun. But that's my favorite one. Definitely awesome. What's the best time of year to go there? May, end of May or middle of May until the middle of July. That's when the canyons are roaring. You know, you get the winter melt off. You know, you get the watershed from everything melting on the ground in the surrounding area because the I think it's called glacier clay, the substrate. You know, it's not like some, it's a soil. It's not dirt. So it's definitely cryptobiotic in some way. I just don't know what it is. But the water trickles through it very easily. So it's, there's water bleeding every, it's so wet down there. I can't even explain it. It's everything is wet. We've gone through so many different like backpack styles and uh, packs we give our clients and ropes and oh my God, everything's, nothing works down there. It's it's so cool. I, I freaking love it. I just prepare for a miserable but fun day when I go down there, whether I'm recreating or, or working commercially or with an institutional trip. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, it's coming from the desert. Like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it sounds really, really cool. Oh Chasing God. waterfalls is amazing. It's so crazy. Do you guys <clears throat> wear what, dry suits and wetsuits? I don't personally yeah. wear that. Some of the guides wear... Uh, most of them wear wetsuits. One guy used to wear a dry, like a swift water scratch suit, but I go down there with, um, like, not snug fitting, but somewhat tight fitting, um, like hiking pants and a, a t-shirt. That, you know, it's fine for me to work as a guide. We don't, we're not in there all day. We're in there for like three or four hours. I don't have any problem with being miserable in a canyon because technically it's not miserable. I guess that's a bad word for it. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> And I have I wear those five ten tennies, which I think they stopped making them, but that's my shoe of choice. So those I love the guy tennies; they were my favorite. And the water tennies, the five ten water tennies, were super. Yeah, those are nice. Those are the ones that I wear, the high top ones. Yeah, they kind of look like a wrestling shoe. Yeah, I don't know if they make them anymore. I can't because I've been trying to find them, but Adidas took over and messed up all everything that was good for canyoneers about five (laughs) ten. Adidas fucked up. Yeah. We tried to use those for that film shoot with Apple TV Plus. They all wore those, and they ended up switching them the one day for the next day, and they all ended up with uh, like this La Sportiva shoe, which had better traction. But I think it depends on the conditions in the canyon, because some days you're down there, and there's an inch of moss and slime on the rocks, and some day there's nothing. So I like That's the tennis. They're great. That's weird. Here, either the moss is there or it's not. So it's weird. Yeah, there's like this thin layer of slime. I think it depends on where the water's coming from. Like, I think if it's storm runoff from the streets, it tends to get that film in it and the mm. foam versus if it's storm runoff, you don't have that. Uh, yeah, I'm not like a, yeah, that, that's outside of my scope of training. I don't really understand that. <laughs> that might be. <laughs> so, if people were wanting to fly in from other states, where would be the best place to like fly in to get up to you? the Catskills? Um, I mean, you could go to Albany. You could fly there. 
and then drive south. It's over an hour drive. You could fly anywhere into New York City. It would, depending on the airport, it's going to be an hour to two hours. You could fly into Newark Airport, which is in New Jersey, Newark International Airport. That's about, I'd say, an hour and 30 minutes from the Catskills. <clears throat> um, I'm sure there's airports in like Stanford, Connecticut, too. I'm just not familiar with them that you could fly into, but it's a pretty easily accessible area with it shouldn't be more than a two hour drive no matter which major airport you fly into with the exception of philadelphia that's going to be three hours oh nice we just but you get really across the country points. and philadelphia pennsylvania we didn't go to philly but just driving across pennsylvania was way more beautiful than i ever thought it would be pa is a nice state it's really green and rocky and yeah we the went through in November, so there was still a little bit of, like, fall colors. We saw a dead bear on the side of the road. That was kind of sad. Oh, yeah, we see that a lot, the small black bears. Yeah. They're always juveniles, too. They're always, like, a couple hundred pounds, and they get hit a lot out here, unfortunately. There's a lot of wildlife overpasses that they've been putting in in New Jersey and PA. Like, they've been taking over these old overpasses and turning them into, like, a wildlife crossing. Oh, cool, right. So those are around. That that definitely mitigated some of the wildlife issues, but That's I don't think cool. they'll ever get rid of all of them. Nice. I found just in my search now, because I'm going to visit my grandkids in March, and I found that Newark was the least expensive airport to fly into. Yeah, that's a good airport. I, I fly in and out of there, you know, for personal and work-related stuff. It's easily accessible and easy to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> Probably too cold in March to do the canyons, right? Maybe some ice climbing. <laughs> no, we're normally ice climbing this time of year. This is our first year in 14 years that we haven't run a single winter trip. We haven't done any ice climbing, snowshoeing. It's been so warm, not warm enough to go canyoneering. Um, right. Well, for me personally, but it's, you know, too warm for any ice to form. So, yeah, there hasn't I think been. It's gonna be a I feel like Utah has gotten all of your snow and all of your weather this year. <laughs> oh, you need to give some of it back. We're crying over here. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> you can have some of it. I'm sick of it, but we totally need it. It's been so dry for so long, but I'm kind of over the winter. <laughs> anyway, um, anything else you want to say about the Catskills area in the Northeast Canyons? It's definitely not a beginner's area. I know a lot of people probably say that about a lot of canyon areas, but it positively is not a beginner's area. Um, we, I've gone on so many issues or seen so many issues, heard about so many rescues. There, It's a, almost a weekly thing in that area. It may not necessarily be canyoneering people, but there's people that go into those canyons and they just can't get out of them or they don't know how to navigate down them or things become unstable. The anchorability in the canyons is very, it's very different. There's, there's a few bolts here and there, but they don't last. You know, they get hammered by debris or the rock around them is, like I said, there's a, a lot of studies you can look up online where the canyons aren't going to be there in 100 years. So it's a very unstable environment. We're constantly on on the lookout for falling rock and things like that. And we're never down there with less than two guides. These two guides, even if there's one client. But it's a really cool area. So definitely do your uh, rim kind of recon along the canyons and check it out first before you get into there. But once you get into there... Oh man, you're not, you're going to, people keep going back. They just constantly go. I see regular faces in there all the time because they just can't, they're like, oh, I found this new waterfall or this one's over here or we went this way down that one. And 
it's really cool. That's See, exciting. I'm really stoked for the guidebook to come out in a few weeks and to get this information out there for people to buy so yeah. they could see it. Right. For sure. So there's Facebook pages that you have now, right? Yeah. There was one of my clients, this guy, Jody started a group, which I was unaware of until this, the person Thomas that I hired to do some canyoneering guiding for us. I just moved out here from Utah. He's like, Hey, there's no group on Facebook for Northeast canyoneering. I'm like, Oh, that's weird. So we just made a quick one. And a bunch of people joined it. And then that guy, Jody, told me about his group. And I'm like, oh, shit, I feel like an asshole. So I made him like a, a group. I couldn't delete the group for some reason. It wouldn't allow me to. I had to like remove all the members. So right. I just made him like an admin or something of the group. So I'm like, okay, let's just do that. And then put in whatever you want. But it's a good place. There awesome. seems to be some connections forming in there. Our staff is up there all the time playing around, whether it's wintertime or the summertime. So... They bring people out a lot as well. And we can handle really large groups too. So we bring some some great people up there. That's awesome. So I'll have links to like your company and the Facebook pages and hopefully that video with Chelsea and Hillary. Yeah, if you have trouble finding <laughs> that, you have to be an Apple TV member to get to it. I had to sign up for mm -hmm. it to look to watch the show. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's called Gutsy Women and it's for their book i believe is called gutsy women it's about just women doing exceptional and amazing things and uh the the host of the show with them was this lady uh sylvia she's uh was the first lgbtq woman to climb all the seven summits um okay. so she was a, a student of mine in various disciplines and she was the host of the show with them with jane goodall and some other people and it's a great show but you could see the canyons right up in your face it's really neat she repels down one of the big waterfalls and then hillary just kind of hanging out interviewing she didn't do anything and then we took chelsea navigating around some of the canyons too so it's pretty neat that sounds awesome um i have a few questions that i like to ask everybody before we end the interview okay uh what is your favorite in canyon snack in canyon snack you know i'm just old school i like fruits and stuff but i mean i've definitely brought some odd things down there like packaged up pizza and stuff <laughs> it's uh <laughs> I like fruit, man. It keeps me powered for the day. I'm sure that's probably a, a little bit of a strange snack. I mean, a Snickers bar is probably a better snack or something like that, but I like fruit. I prefer fruit to Snickers for sure, but I'm not a chocolate fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about after the Canyon? What's your favorite after Canyon beverage? Oh, uh, beverage or food? Beverage. Oh, I just, yeah. I mean, coffee. That fuels me for the next trip. Nice. <laughs> There's nothing like hot coffee after a cold day in a canyon. Oh my god, especially when you're wet all day. Oh, yeah. so nice. If you're in the hot canyons like out here, you want a cold beer, but I feel like in a cold canyon environment, you would want a hot coffee. Yes, yeah, a hot coffee and your shoes come right off. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what is the most essential piece of gear that you carry with you? My rope. Yeah, that gets me out of everywhere I need to get out of. I mean, I, there's other things I carry with me. I, my pack is very slimmed down in a canyon environment. Um, you know, I have a quick rescue kit with some items on there, you know, some wrap rings, a knife and some other things, but, um, my personal survival kit, my PSK, that's on my person, but, um, I've gone through backpacks. It changes all the time. I've been pretty selective and good with the, the shorty, the little stubby black diamond bag. That one works out great for me. Canyon bags just don't last in there. Um, they get ripped up really easily, but my rope, that's my most essential piece of gear. I, we use the Sterling, um, IV that you know the four that rope 
takes a beating down there. We've I just we destroy ropes down there. We actually had Sterling come out and look at the environment for us because we were running a lot of institutional trips and running through their ropes like crazy. They were wearing out within a few weeks, and they created this tactical type of shear with Technora in it, and they upgraded that Canyon Four rope too. I mean, we buy ropes every three months. I'm going to say for the canyons now instead of every two weeks three weeks but we run a lot of people down the rope sometimes it's 250 people a day wow you know it depends yeah it depends on the the time of year but yeah we run a lot of people down those ropes so they get a they take a beat and we used to cycle the ends out like you know we'd number the ends and flip them but that didn't work out but my rope sorry to go off on a tangent that's my most essential piece of gear no, thanks for going into what kind of rope you use. And like, <laughs> it's awesome that Sterling came out and like addressed the problem that you were having with the ropes and made a better one. That's Sterling cool. rocks. They are awesome. I love their ropes. We're a dealer for Sterling. Um, they make great. I use them all across the board in all disciplines I, I operate in. I was an arborist for a while. I use their ropes for arbor work. I use them in mountain guiding, mountain rescue, federal law enforcement work, military work guiding work i use their ropes for every single thing possible and i never have a problem with them that's Um, awesome yeah they're great ropes very cool question that i'm starting to ask in 2023 is how has canyoning changed you impacted your life professionally it this the specific kinds of the cat skills aided my situational awareness in some areas because it's such it's such at a heightened level in the canyons so i was able to implement that into uh, professional training curriculum and stuff that we use with various, you know, governmental agencies or, you know, with the general public, with the civilian side. It definitely helped me out there. Um, I freak out now in some other canyons where there's no issues. Like I'm always constantly on alert for certain things. I'm judging the environment, terrain recognition, terrain differentials and stuff. But that's how it helped me out professionally. Um, on a personal level, I've developed a lot of great relationships and friends from bringing them in those canyons up there because they're so unforgiving. And um, it's such a rewarding experience when you get to the end of them. You're like, you turn around, you look back and you're like, holy fucking shit. What the hell did we just go through? And you're like, that was amazing. Like, you know, we're, yeah, it's so cool. Like, you got to get the hell up there. I can't say that enough. I really want to go out to the Pacific Northwest and see the comparison now. Mm-hmm. That I'm at this, you know, level, but because I feel like they might be way better than these. But as far as the Catskill Canyons go, I I love they're freaking amazing, yeah. And it developed some really great things. Yeah, the pictures that I've seen look incredible. I can't wait to see it in person. Oh yeah, next when you're out here, let me know. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll hook up. We'll go out and chuck you down into the canyon, and you can play and see what's what's around. It's really cool. Can't wait till my grandkids get old enough to be able to go. They're still really young, but <laughs> one day. Oh. <laughs> Jasper was stemming down their walls. They have this really long wall in their in their house there. And so he was like stemming up high, like and I was like, Can he make it all the way down the hall to the bathroom? And she was like, Not quite yet. I was like, one day I'll be able to take it. <laughs> oh my god. Kids so. have like no fear. It doesn't and their strength to weight ratio is sick, man. Like Right. Oh, they'd be great canyoneers if they were only a little more aware. Right. That's the scary part is they have to at least listen well enough that they can be trusted by a clip. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like, I don't um, know. You clip them in. Anyway, last question and we can say goodbye. Do you have any safety advice that you would like to leave our listeners with? Safety advice? I mean, I kind of went over some of that, but I think 
formal training in the discipline is good. You know, go out and acquire your experience in a, a lower grade area. Rock climbing experience definitely helps, you know, learning how to use micro features, how to get out of areas because you don't learn that in canyoneering unless you're in a super dry canyon with like, you know, metamorphic or igneous rock. But yeah, formal training with somebody who has not just a credential, but a lot of experience would be my safety advice. Don't slack on equipment. There's some, I see people with some crazy gear out there. Like don't, a canyon's not an environment to be testing gear out right. or a, a class C canyon, I should say. It's not an area to be testing gear out. Figure that out in the lower class canyons or the drier canyons and get your systems in place. Mm -hmm. This way, when you go to deploy them in a quicker situation where there's water hammering you in the face or something, you, know, you have all those dialed in and consistent with your training and your formal training process. Um, don't use old school methods like they were using in the 90s. A lot of those are outdated and like leg wraps and things like that. I, I see a lot of canyoneering people doing that stuff. That's really unsafe. Yeah, there's just get formal, innovative, up-to-date training and best practices. There's so many places to go for it or just go do it yourself. You know, get, get into some of those nitty gritty situations you know, or hit up a local rescue team that operates in that area. They're great to learn the skills from because you can familiarize yourself with the environment on a more expedited level with those people. Yeah. I know in Utah specifically, there's a lot of meetup groups that will go over skills and different things that you need to learn. And that's, that's they're usually free or, you know, minimum, you know, a little bit of money. You don't have to pay like the couple hundred bucks for a class and you can just stay fresh on your skills. I that's think. a good idea. I know meetup groups notoriously out here, not for canyoneering, but for other things. Some of them are great and some of them are bad. I guess you just got to pick through and use your best judgment with them. But mm -hmm. I know some great people that run meetup groups, really experienced. There's some, that's a good place to start. I didn't think about that. Yeah, there's a few, a few out here that do awesome things. So that's a good place. But definitely, yeah, you can't can't shortcut your training for sure. <laughs> yeah, money's a big problem. Nobody wants to spend a few hundred bucks to learn something they can watch. It also depends on your learning style too, I guess. You know, some people need to be with an instructor. Some people could watch videos or read a book. The problem I have with people all. learning on YouTube is there's qualified people on YouTube and then there's beginners thinking that they're qualified on YouTube. Yes. Right? <laughs> I think there's more beginners thinking that they're they're YouTube certified. Yeah. I bet you 80 to 90% of the people on YouTube are these beginners. They're like, oh my God, I'm so stoked about all this shit I learned. Let me just put it on the internet. Right. Like, okay, you didn't work out all the kinks or you don't know why they're only using that method versus this one. Or yeah. they have tunnel vision towards this specific way when there's 500 other ways to do that. Exactly. So I find that YouTube is good in that you can refresh your skills again, but also it can be bad if you have the wrong youtube person that you're learning from <laughs> i find YouTube, uh, youtube very entertaining at night when i'm trying to go right. to sleep i'm like wow look at this fucking idiot on here what is he <laughs> doing or this is a great video i wish i saw this 10 years ago it's usually right. on the the what is this crazy person doing so it's very entertaining um, and the comments underneath those videos are the best oh i love reading those i i could sit down with a cup of coffee and read for those all day and spit it out laughing <laughs> right. there's some characters on there <laughs> Yeah, I'll just check that. I mean, out. we have our fair share of haters everywhere. The more you're, the longer you're in business as a guide service, the more haters you get. But 
I love seeing some of their comments. I'm like, wow, man, this is like, you should come work for me. That's how friggin' funny you are. <laughs> Haters gonna hate. Yes. I don't know. I'm offended. I'm gonna bash you. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, I feel like we've chatted enough about the Northeast Canyons. I can't wait to get out there when it's doable. Sounds awesome. Yeah, let me know. Shoot, shoot me a message. We'll uh, we can meet up with a group of people and go have some fun. Yeah, sounds awesome. In the meantime, all right. Well, thanks keep for watching me. you on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you as well. I'll talk to you soon. Thank yep. you. Canyons are calling. Let's go. Okay, well that concludes my interview with Joey. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I do have links in the show notes for the American Hiking Guide Association, for the National Rescue Response Institute the Northeast Mountain Guiding Association and the two Facebook groups for the Northeast Canyons that are out there. There's the Catskill Canyoning and the Northeast Canyoneering group. And then I also found a link for the Hillary and Chelsea YouTube, Apple um, series that they have. You do have to be an Apple subscriber and I'm not that cool. So it wasn't worth it to me to sign up and watch Hillary and Chelsea repelling. But if you are an Apple subscriber and you're into that, um, you can see more of the canyons. There are also awesome pictures and some videos on the Facebook group pages. So I just can't wait to see them in person. <laughs> anyway, the canyons are calling. Let's go.